Hello, my name is Peter Barron, and on behalf of Science Radio and FreakyTrigger.co.uk, I'd like to welcome you to the Lost Property Office, the podcast that discusses the lost, the found, and the profound. Only last week we proved that baby parrots looked horrendous and that the Middle Ages didn't happen. We all lose stuff, down the back of the sofa, falling out of our pockets, but we all find stuff too. This is the podcast that sticks its hand down the back of the sofa to find its lost keys and instead finds a tiny Sean Connery that had been ejected from a tiny Aston Martin years before. In the Lost Property offices, I will be guiding a guest to go through items they've lost and items they've found and hoping to distract them with some new items. Because this is not just a fake podcast, Lost Property Office. This is a real university lost and found. I've invited my guests to go and have a rubbish and see what they can find. So welcome to this week's intrepid Lost Properteer, Tim Hopkins. Hello. So, Tim, um, you've been downstairs. What was your impression of the office? It's nasty in there. It is a bit nasty, isn't I it? I don't want to go back. It, it's it's very full at the moment. It, it seemed full of clothes. I, uh, it's cold outdoors. Yes. And there must be a substantial proportion of the student population here who are regretting uh, leaving their warm winter clothes behind when drunk. I think that's, I think that's very much the case. We do get people coming in... Um, we have a list of when people have lost stuff, if, if they can't find it, because it doesn't always come to us straight away. We have a list where they write down what they've done, and today four people came in and just wrote scarf and a phone number. Oh, Not enough, though. Scarf is not going to get it to them. No, but I'm they're not probably ring embarrassed. Anyone. Yeah. They're probably embarrassed about the design of their scarf. I think it might be like a Tom Baker Doctor Who scarf. And Oh, I hope so. The more of those get lost, the better. So where do you think they go in between being lost and coming back to you? Well, the cleaners sort of take them, and then it com- comes to us very, very slowly from the cleaners. So it doesn't always come to us straight away. Um, do you think they've got some kind of holding room that, where they make sure that it's not... Uh, well, they don't decant it. I don't it. know. Yeah, well, I don't know exactly how... I've never tried to, work, I've tried to work that out, because sometimes it does take three or four days for things to get to us. I don't know quite sure where it is in between, apart from slowly being tidied. I, I'll, I will find that out for a future episode so that um, this this question of the ages can be answered. The audience is almost certainly on the edge of their yeah. but Well, hey, anything that brings them back next week. But um, before then, I've got a few questions to ask you, Tim. Okay. Um, and the first one is, what have you lost? I mean, what, what of greatest personal or monetary value have you ever lost? I don't really think of myself as much of a loser of things. I'm I'm something of a mislayer of things. Mm. I, some I mean, any any given day, I can expect to spend fifteen to twenty minutes looking around my not especially large home, trying to find the thing that I put down on one of the not especially large surfaces. Yeah. Um, but you know that's not really losing. That's just a that's more frustrating uh, muddle headedness. Yeah, and um, you find that stuff in the end, so it's not right. It's vaguely mislaid. I remember losing my wallet when I was a small child. I mean, I guess about nine or ten, and being in trouble. And uh, well, it turns out I lost it in the W. H. Smiths in Exeter. Okay, and it had eight English pounds <gasps> in. And the, you know, we're talking about the end of the seventies, so eight English pounds was more of a considerable sum of money then than it is now. And yeah, to, to and a, I mean, even the, even at the end of um, or during rampant inflation that was going forward at the time, right. And also I was nine, so eight English pounds was actually really a very substantial sum yes. of money. It was probably the most that I'd had in my my little wallet at, at any point. In 79, you could buy at least two or three paperback books for that, probably. Well, two, um, yeah, I was, at least. I was a little... I was a little prepubescent record collector as well so I was you know right. I was I would have wanted you know 
75p well you know jams and goods and stuff I was mean even then so it was probably the 39p box that I was buying (laughs) okay well then you're getting your value for money exactly but think of those 20 singles that could anyway yes well that's not the exciting the exciting news was that it got handed in great Uh, with all the money in with all the money in And I had to go to Exeter Police Station right. to go and pick it up. Did they, did they, did they do the... Because I like this. When, when something like that's been handed in, it's of a reasonable monetary value. I'm always a little coy. I said, so you've lost a wallet. Can you describe the wallet? Oh, well, it had my name and address in it. You don't need to describe the wallet at I that point. I didn't need to describe yeah. the wallet. It was okay. Um, it's got a number of pictures of Isaac Newton in it. My father, though, bless him. Mm. He, he had been extremely angry at the losing of the eight pounds. Yeah. I mean, justifiably so. I, I remember even at the time thinking that he was a little unsympathetic because I hadn't done it deliberately, but, no. you know, whatever. But you've got to learn your lesson. Right. But then, so he had to he had to go to the trouble of, I mean, we didn't live in Exeter, I should so make clear to, to anyone who's listening. So we had to go to the trouble midweek of going into Exeter mm. uh, to the police station, which is, you know, not a common destination for us. Uh, to pick this thing up, and he wasn't enormously pleased about that chore no. either. And no. I'm trying to remember the final bit of this story, truthfully. And, you know, either £3 of the eight mm. or £5 of the eight went into the police benevolent fund jar. Right. Very visibly yeah. as I picked up this, this, as I was given this wallet back. And I can I can clearly remember being most distressed at the injustice of, you know, the, just the, the massive proportion of my then worldly wealth that was being, as far as I could tell at the time, given away. To the police. To the police. I mean, it's not as though the police had done any substantial work. No, it had been handed in to them. Right. I mean, if if, if, if W.H. Smith just kept it and rung you up, then that money would have gone towards the W.H. Smith Benevolent Fund. Which who, is frankly where it was going anyway. Exactly. You probably <laughs> need it more. Exactly. I mean, I, mean, I could have, you know, I could have spent that, three or five pounds and i wish i could remember which it was but it was you know it was enough to be a, a thing yeah i mean they're still out there of course wx smiths unlike um hmv but they're certainly not the same kind of store they were then well no and they don't really have record departments anymore no. for which i can't forgive them no i, I remember record buying in wx smiths it was one of those ones where you go and it was it, it was a good selection of records yeah, it was a okay. proper record store okay. almost i mean it wasn't a specialist but no no but, but you, you could always you could you were guaranteed is that that and Woolworths you were guaranteed to get your singles your chart singles of the day. Well, and it was more than that. It, it, stores like that actually carried back catalogue and a certain amount of you know, not 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 a, as broad a back catalogue as HMV carried. But no. you know, I remember buying bought my copy of Me God Me King by Papa Levi in <laughs> Exeter W H Smith, which is you know looking back on it, it's a bit of a surprise, really. It wasn't I, so much of a chart hit that one. I do remember the um, St Albans uh, W H Smith. If you ordered a record from them, you'd be guaranteed to get it in a right. couple of days. Whereas if you went down to the local record store, they would only get an order in once a week or whatever. And then sometimes they wouldn't approve of the records; so they might not order it. I, I do. I have been. I have been thinking with the, the recent. Um, well, hopefully not complete demise of HMV, with the recent uh, troubles that HMV yes. have been having. I have been, I have been musing on, you know, when actually was the golden age of the record store? Mm. You know, what, which lost golden age should we really be mourning? Mm. And I mean, fairly self-evidently for most people, the golden age of the record store was the time between when they were, you know, fifteen and twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my instinct is that. The golden age of the record store probably was between the age of my age of fifteen <laughs> and twenty-one. I was about to say it's quite, it's quite like I, mean, I do think that the, the the sort of that period just before or maybe just around CDs coming in, 
They were, right. they were a little flush. I think, um, I think just before just before CDs seemed to happen, because CDs... Or when, before they took off, certainly. Before they took off. Yeah, so yeah. that sort of 82 to 87 period, maybe. Right. A little bit later than that. Right. And, the, the, you know, this, the, the advent of the CD seemed to, seemed to be something of a consolidation in the music industry and... Uh, I don't know. It seemed to be. It seemed to be something about making everything. Everything got a little easier to get, and the, yeah. the supply lines were a little easier. But you know, much before 1980, the distribution was pretty bad. Yeah, you couldn't you know, be guaranteed to get anything you wanted, and it was, it was hard. Like things were things were very localized, as I understand yeah. it. Much before 1970, you know, you, you hear stories about people in the in the early 60s and such like. You know that, that they would have to order their even what now seem quite mainstream, you know, mm. Motown records and such like from the from the states. Yeah, well, this, I mean, this is how Northern Soul happened, didn't it? Because that you know it was the regionalisation of record stores and what was left over and what was sent over, and then it became a sort of vinyl hunting right. thing. But the early start of Northern Soul was pretty much just well. I mean, legendarily, the the the, the Start of Northern Soul was was ballast, mm. wasn't it? It was like yeah. like records were so these these records these, not these soul states. records that just hadn't sold were, were basically the lowest value heavy stuff that anyone could think of. So mm. they just got stuck in you know they 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 had a small amount of value in the UK because people would buy them mm. on spec, but they basically had no value whatsoever, and people had a taste for that. Yeah, it wasn't called Northern Soul then, of course. Of course not, no. Because Northern Soul, as a term, as we know, was invented in South East London. Of course, as it would be. As it would be. All good things are invented in London. <laughs> um, that, that may, I may be pushing that Anyway, um, we seem to have got slightly sidetracked Into a conversation about record stores Or not Lost, great lost ages That's what I've lost I've lost the golden age of the record store Because I, I, think, I think the next question may involve records as well But I may be wrong What have you found? Well, I have found Oh no, um, not here What have you found oh, in, in, general, the world? in the world? Yes. Oh. Um, I mean, we, we will come on to what you found here But Actually, I feel like I'm simul- simultaneously not a great loser and not a great finder. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there are many things that I've hung on to and clung on to and, you know, really, really become an important part of my life that I've either found for very little or nothing. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a record collector. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a world-class record collector or no. anything, but I've got a pile of records at home. There's no there's no competition in record collecting anyway. It's not like an Olympics of record collecting. <laughs> That's so not true. That's like the, <laughs> well, the least it feels like thing. It feels like there is, but there isn't an official one. No. I mean, well, if there was, who would be the world's greatest record collector? <laughs> um, well... I, don't, I can't answer yes, that question. Exactly. I can't answer that question without offending at least one of my friends. Right, yeah, no, okay, fair enough. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, there, are, there are records that I've found, but mm, oh, that's a bit... That's not a bit really dull, but you're in shops, aren't you, I you guess? Don't, and so you don't want to hear about me finding records. Not particularly, no. I mean, I found, you know, I have ha- I have found records in, in rubbish bins and dumpsters before now, but nothing particularly, um, nothing particularly noteworthy. Nothing life-changing? No. Anything else you may have found in what streets? You know, um, finding a you know finding a penny, picking it up, and having a whole day of luck. Well, I, I, funnily enough, I was I've, I've talked to a few people recently about about uh, about finding money in the streets. Mm. Um, my my wife was talking to me about regularly. She would go. She would. She would. It was on her um, on her route and her. Scheduled to find herself walking home um, around the time that 
fellow students in Madison, Wisconsin, who were out drinking right. immediately after they were out drinking, and quite often, you'd you know, find late at night, you would just find random money on the street. Mm. That hasn't really. I mean, no, I found the odd fiver here and the odd tenner yeah. there, but I guess. I was one of those students out drinking. <laughs> you, you you may have lost the odds. <laughs> it's not impossible that well, I mean, not in Madison, Wisconsin, but it's no. not impossible that I was, you know, I was the one sending that joy out into the world. Well, you're a very generous man, Tim. Uh, one of the things I've always thought of you, and um, you know, you always get your round in, and often those are expensive rounds. And That's so, true. Uh, losing an extra tenner along the way, it probably will feel like that largesse has gone even further. So, yeah, are you are you often surprised when you get home how much money you've spent? Or you've got quite a good idea how much was in the pocket to start off with. When I get home, I try not to think too hard about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The next morning, I'm sometimes surprised at how much money I've spent. Yeah. But, you know, uh, equally, it's like you can generally work it out if you can bear to excavate the... The difficulties of the evening before. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I, w- I won't press you on finding things, because um, you clearly don't find stuff. Well, I, f- I feel... Yeah, I feel bad about that. Really. No, no, it's okay. Hey, no, it's good because you don't lose stuff as well. I think maybe the two things come together. Maybe that's it's, true. You know, you're a you're a karmic uh, rock in a choppy sea of people of losers and finders. <laughs> yeah, um, more losers than finders, I fear. Yes. So anyway, the the first bit of stuff you found will be music. Music. Uh, you've got a CD. Now there was a, a CD wallet and some other CDs that were uh, that are still in the uh, office, and um, you found something there handwritten. I took the non-standard step amongst people uh, participating in this radio show mm-hmm. of picking a CD where, A, I didn't know what any of the tracks were. That's good. And, B, I thought there was a chance that I might actually like it. <laughs> well, that's a very good idea. What this one says uh, is it's, it's got the letters BTG okay. underlined twice, like they're really uh, important. I don't really know what BTG stands for. I wouldn't want to speculate. Maybe we can speculate after we've heard it. Uh, And underneath, so that's written above the hole, if you catch my drift. Uh, And underneath, in the same hand, is written the legend, Boogie plus Disco. Do you think they're using plus here as a replacement for and, or do you think it might be Boogie plus Disco? Uh, I would be surprised given the slightly slack nature of the handwriting <laughs> that they, whether they thought about that too much I think no. it's I think it's an interesting question about whether boogie and disco for the writer are the same distinct. thing yeah whether whether it's like well this CD's got bo- some boogie on it and some disco but clearly they're not the same thing or whether whether you know there's a Venn diagram of some things that are boogie some things that are disco and some things that are boogie and disco or whether it just Two words that, broadly speaking, Be- define the same thing to them. Yeah, yeah that they yeah. might be able to dance. Now there are fourteen tracks on yeah. this. Um, do you have any particular track you'd like to hear? Well, number seven is the obvious place to start. Really, it's the start of side two. Actually, it's not. Is it? It's the end of side one. Yeah. Well, you can have the end of side one, or I could do number eight. Start of side two. Uh, eight. Okay. This it's not is really start of side two, is it? Not really. No. Well, actually, we, we don't a, know. On a handmade CD, it's probably the worst. Like the middle's the worst because it's like you're, you're putting stuff on there. Number eight, number we're, eight will be fine. We're we're here. Um, so yes, this is this is a boogie plus disco <laughs> track eight. Um, it's quite a dirty CD, so let's, let's see if it skips or not. But let's give it a go.
So we're not convinced on the boogie plus disco-ness of that. No, I didn't see... I mean, you know, I guess I guess boogie in its broadest sense. Yeah, there's a groove. There's a groove. It sounded like a, you know, solely jazz funk to me. That yeah. was, was where I would have put it. Not that I'm an expert, you understand? No. But I know a man who is. Yes. Well, we can always ask them. Yeah, we, 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 we haven't come any closer, I think, to defining what the BTG is next. Beat yeah. that guitar, maybe. The guitarist seemed to be giving himself... Uh, free hand, if you will. It's free bass. No, no, it's, it's that. Well, there won't be any sax in this. Obviously, it's not the kind of record that has a saxophone in it. I don't think. Uh, there's no, there's no real, there's no real theoretical room for any sax with that guitar doing the saxist job. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So yeah, we don't, we're not sure about BTG. We'll come back on the BTG and we'll let this just burble away underneath us while we um, ask uh, the next. I don't hate it though. No, no, it's not terrible. It's just a little, as we I said. Don't, with the, I don't love it. If this was an album, homemade album, then uh, your, our suggestion that this might be a low dip, yeah, might be correct. Because that's the way I often feel about it. if I'm, if I'm, you know, I know I've got twenty tracks to put on a CD. But you don't put bad tracks on CDs, Tim. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not saying you put a bad one on. But like you get to, you put six on there, and you're getting a bit bored. You, you're thinking, oh, I've got a little, am I going to find enough stuff to put on here that sort of fits with what I'm trying to do? You put a few on, and then it gets a bit later in the in the disc, and you're like, oh no, there's loads of stuff. Mm. And then uh, you know, you you you, put, you you find yourself the last three or four are solid yeah. gold. Yeah, you finish well. The ones you've forgotten, yeah, exactly. Ones, yeah. You're, you're no, I'm trying to pile them all on. Um, so anyway, next question. Yeah, when have you been lost? When have I been lost? I get lost all the time because I flatter myself that I have a good sense of direction. Right. Now, we've heard, we've heard stories very similar, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested to see that you're quite happy to say that you do get lost. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I do all the time. I'm, I can tell when I'm lost because my lovely wife gives me a particular look. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her heart. Yes. Uh, which, where I'm saying, no, no, we just need to go a bit further in this direction. And she gives me that look that says, I'm tired. I'm bored of being led round in circles by you. I really want to sit down and have a cup of coffee or perhaps a beer. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? And what will and happen? And the reason is because I'm lost. Yeah. Actually, what, what will happen at that point? What will happen is uh, I might get a bit grumpy. Truthfully, mm-hmm. I try not to, but no, you know, no. yeah, it happens. Uh, and then we will have a little conflab about the best way of doing the best way of getting where we need to get to. Will and there be? I will do. I will do what. She says, "Will there be a moment where you have to ask, and if you do, who will do the asking?" Uh, it's very rare, actually. It's mm. very rare that I have to ask. Um, don't can't really remember actually asking, um, except sometimes for very particular, yeah, very particular spots. And uh, generally speaking, my experience with asking is is kind of fruitless because I'm looking for something that's a bit hidden away anyway and the person you're asking doesn't know where it is no yeah. they'll, give a, they'll give a shrug I do remember being lost as a small child mm-hmm. actually genuinely being lost right uh, when we were walking around some reservoir somewhere in the home counties when we were on holiday yeah and taking the wrong path and actually finding myself in I know my memory of it is is a kind of nasty little boggy marsh and actually finding myself getting a bit stuck Right. In the, oh, actually getting stuck in the actually marsh. Actually getting stuck your, in the... Your like, feet and boots and... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, and and you worry about quicksand at this oh, point? Or? Of course. I mean, I guess I'll have been about five or six at this point. So I was quite right. little and I will have seen stuff on mm-hmm. the telly about people sinking in 
marshes and bogs. And you didn't have a, a friendly pet that would save you as well, so no, no lassie or no lassie. champion the wonder horse. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd had champion the wonder horse, I dare say you would have been on the back of champion and yeah. you'd have been fine. But well, I don't know about that because champion might have had trouble in this marsh also. I suppose yeah. You don't. I, I don't. You don't take horses through marshes if you can help it. So I screamed and screamed really for help. You you get all shred of dignity went and it was yeah yeah help help it really was help help it's the it's the only time I think in my life it's only the only time I can remember where I've had to actually shout help in a in a meaningful <laughs> way and my dad heard me and came running up and mm. you know truth was that was we were probably I was probably a hundred yards from them maximum yeah. at any given point but, but you never know if it's if it's dark and you can't or you can't it see wasn't and actually dark but so you I mean, woods kind, and marsh yeah, yeah then it was it was yeah, I, I certainly felt more isolated than I would have yeah. liked. And your dad rescued you, and you had to put three pound in the police benevolent fund again. No, uh, I, no, he was nice that time. Actually, yeah. he was, you know, I, that, well, that time when I, really I should have been told off for wandering off. Yeah, and he was like, he was happy to have got me back. Uh, it, he was actually involved in saving you, whereas the other one, it was hopeless first of all, and then that's true. Then he had just had a chore. Yes, so, having to go. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Really, it's more like having to go to Exeter. It might be. I'm not. I'm not sure. Who knows? Yeah, he might have just been in a better mood that day. It happens. We all we, we all were on have holiday. We all have well, indeed. Yes, <laughs> that might have picked picked him up a bit more. Right. right well, I'll, I'll go with that, and because I, 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 I like the honesty of your uh, of of what happens when you're lost. Right. Uh, it sounds. It sounds like. Something that other people won't quite admit to. That's very nice but, of you. But doesn't. So you found some stuff downstairs. I did. Um, which Which of your two items would you like to talk about first? I'm going to talk about the complete guitar player omnibus edition books well, one, two, three, and four. It doesn't. It doesn't strike me as a very big book. So books one, two, three, and four must have been rather slim. But I suppose music books often are, aren't they? Often there may have been there may have been a lot of overlap between the four, of right. course. Oh, of course, yeah. Between the four works of Mr. Rush Shipton, who appears to be the fellow who uh, who put it together. Oh, right. Okay. Do you want to describe Mr. Shipton? He's a, he's a picture of him on the inside fly. Uh, he looks like a stereotypical 1970s guitarist dude. Mm. He's got slightly receding hair. He's got hair rather like Paul Simon in, I guess, about 1974. Right. There goes Rhyming Simon kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, yeah. Slightly I, receding. I guess I'm thinking of Paul Simon. Cause He's there on are, the cover, isn't he? Yeah. There, are, there, are, uh, there are two pictures of Paul Simon on the cover. Right, so what, we, what have we got on the cover? Yes, so basically the cover is uh, as a guitar lying on top of some guitar type things. There's and... an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. lying on lying next to something that looks like well, it looks like a tape deck or an amp. Right. I think it's a I think it's an amp and there's a there's a, a kind of silvery nineteen seventies looking microphone on there and a couple of wound guitar strings. Mm-hmm. Uh and then one, two, three Four copies of, I guess, this book, or perhaps books the individual one, two, three, books four. one, two, three, and four. Ah, that would make a lot of sense. Lying on top of a, 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 a what I can only describe as a bed of uh, vinyl records, which include they are. I think I can identify all of them, mm-hmm. although there may be one lying under the amp that I can't see. There is a copy of the best of John Denver, mm-hmm. uh, the Beatles' uh, red compilation. Um, that one Leonard Cohen record with a picture of his face on the front. What's that one called? Uh, I don't know. Can't remember that. Oh, I can't. It's one of those Leonard Cohen albums. Streets by Ralph McTell. Mona Bone Jacon by Cat Stevens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bookends by Simon and Garfunkel. The one under the amp is Abbey Road. 
No, no, but there's another one. Oh, you okay. see, there's some like kind of leafy arrangement. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, it's like you can only see a tiny sliver of that. And there's there's two records that you can only see a tiny sliver right. of. Right. Book ends by Simon and Garfunkel, and as you say, Abbey Road by those Beatles. So and do it, we want to delve inside or, or or go to the back? Well, that's I think some of the songs and songs. So basically, this appears to be it's a complete guitar course. It's arranged by it's arranged by style. Interestingly. Right. So it starts with strumming. Well, well, that's a very with, early on early technique, with, I guess. It's one of the basic techniques of right. guitar playing. Actually, it starts with some useful information. First, catch your guitar. Okay. Um, holding your guitar. <laughs> useful. It is very useful. Your first chord. Which is? Uh, a. It's a good first chord. Uh, I have no, I take no position on this. I See, I, I, the part of the reason I picked this up is because mm. I don't really approve of guitarists no. in general. No, no. Like, I, I saw this, the complete guitar player. It sounded like an insult to me. <laughs> you are a complete guitar player. Uh, and that was what attracted me to this particular item. Um, so, yeah, it goes through strumming. Uh, some, the, some of the songs you might want to strum. A, leaving on a jet plane, blowing in the wind. Yeah, a bit strummy. Uh, then there's the bass strum style. Okay. Uh, the times they are a-changing. Mm-hmm. Colours by Donovan. Uh, me and Bobby McGee by... Uh, Chris Christopherson mm-hmm. he's somebody who is best at better he's a rare example of someone who's better playing guitar than a loud near a microphone <laughs> uh, the arpeggio style okay, Scarborough so Fair English Country Garden English Country Garden <laughs> that's a little bit seems um, an unusual choice he's, uh, trying, he's trying to broaden the horizons of uh, people who've just looked at those albums on the cover and went I want to be right. Simon Garfunkel Donovan or Nielsen oh, sorry not Nielsen um Oh, Nielsen would fit, I guess. Um, the last thing on my mind by Tom Paxton. There's a whole section on lyrics, which seems... Oh, I see. These are the lyrics of the songs that he's teaching how to play. Right. Uh, it's not next to the music. Oh, I see. But... And now we get on to book two. Ah, uh, OK. Which starts once again with strumming. Is, is it hardcore strumming? Like, uh, no, because it's Yellow Submarine. Yellow really Sub- not. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Yellow Submarine, mm-hmm. Maxwell Silver Hammer, and Obladi Oblada right. are the three Beatles songs in a row. Does seem. I mean, it doesn't seem like until you get to book two, you can't do the Beatles. But also, you know, if I had to pick three Beatles songs of the sort of famous Beatles songs that I really did not like, yeah, those probably are the ones. Yeah. Certainly, Maxwell Silverhammer. I can't abide. Terrible, horrible song. Obadar has its problems. What the lyrics and the tune and the arrangement? Yeah, mainly. And the singing. Yeah. But it's okay, because you can progress to... Uh, see. Back, back to me and Bobby McGee. Okay, <laughs> just in case uh, you hadn't got it right the first time. In book two. Um, yeah, so House of the Rising Sun there. With well, the, arpeggio style. In the arpeggio style. Uh, there's a picture of the Rolling Stones. Oh, no, it's um, it's Sailing. Ah. Sailing by G. Sutherland, uh, which is obviously... It's got a picture of Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood. Right. Uh, and that's what that's what's going on in here. But the other really exciting thing about this book, it's not the picture of Cat Stevens, believe it or not. No, even um, though it would always be good. Between pages 22 and 23 of book three. Right. Um, just after the picture of Leonard Cohen uh, is a flexi disc. Wow. The complete guitar player, guitar tuner, easiest method ever devised for tuning the guitar correctly. Open strings are sounded at concert pitch. On a synthesizer. Wow. Duration of each note allows ample time to tune it. 
Would you like to detach that disc and no, see? Because we do no, have a record player here that would work. It's creased to all um, hell, I'm afraid. Oh, so I'm sure it would play. Unfortunate. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to destroy this this artifact. I don't think you'd be destroying the artifact. The other, the other. I mean, there, there are various problems with this. It's yeah. like they've they've done it to concert, concert pitch on a synthesizer. Mm. This this here flexible <laughs> disc. disc yeah. Well, you know, it it's kind of demands that you've got your record deck mm. appropriately. Uh, appropriately set up so and that exactly you are right exactly the right speed which as we know those of us who used to play records I was right. always quite you surprised yeah I'll give it a go I'm going to give it a go well also it's been a while since I've uh, it might not work it it's, might not work but you know what's the worst that can happen exactly um, yeah see it's, it's a square one as well isn't it oh, want to describe it a bit more me, while I uh, it's a square flexi disc uh, it's black it has the wording that I previously read out, written on the label. Yes. It's got a dirty great crease across a big chunk of it. Um, and I think it's going to be, well, Russ himself is going to be voicing some of the uh, advice to you, but then it's going to have some really annoying unitone. Um, oh, hello. That's guitar. I wasn't expecting that. This is probably him introducing it. I'm guessing so. Get Hello, Russ. This Hello is Russ. Shipton, and I'd like to welcome you to the Complete Guitar Player course, which I know you'll find thoroughly enjoyable and rewarding. He knows that. The first thing that I must stress is that every guitar player, including the professional, must make sure that his guitar is in tune before playing. Including the professional. This special recording will make it easier for you to tune your guitar perfectly if you follow my instructions. Now... Hold your guitar in the position shown on page four of book one. That's the holding of the guitar. All, we're going to tune the finger, which yeah. is the one furthest from you. This is usually known as the first string. <laughs> You're now going to hear the correct note to which you should tune the first string. Ah. <laughs> okay, I can see the problem with this. Ah. And the others you will hear was produced by a synthesizer <gasps> set at concert pitch. But a synthesizer so is the enemy of the guitar, Russ. <laughs> your guitar will be tuned to concert pitch. So you could play a concert. My first string is now lower than it should be. Oh no. And what? I'm going to keep striking it and tightening gradually. I'll adjust the string until it sounds the same as the correct note, like this. Cheers, Russ. You can tighten faster than that, Russ. Come on. <laughs> and it's now at concert pitch. Hurrah! All right, we get the idea. <laughs> I was I was half hoping that I, before I before I read that it had synthesizer noises on it, I was hoping it would be three minutes of somebody tuning up a guitar, which ding, would have ding, been, ding. you know, I, I've got worse records. Than he's that, still going. He's, he's still doing it. <laughs> He's going to carry on for a while. I'll, I'll just to see how it ends, just in case he's, he's very self-triumphant uh, at the end. And now you know how to tune your guitar, would be my guess. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, we're near, the, near the low bit. Now we're in trouble. Keep my eyes wide open all the time. <laughs> and finally, the note for the sixth oh. string. And enjoy yourself playing the songs in book one. Only in book one. So what's the what's the hardest song in there then? 
on there? The hardest song? Or, you know, the, the hardest very... to listen to? Well, no, the, the very last song in there, I guess. Or... Uh, okay, the, the fun... well, there's a, section, there's a section in book four called Embellishments. Ah. And you have the opportunity to play Watermelon by uh, Russ Shipton. <laughs> oh, really? His own, his own <laughs> yeah. composition? Uh, if You Could Read My Mind by Gordon Lightfoot. Ah, well, it's a, a beautiful I, song. I don't know it. I'm, if You I'm, Could Read My Mind of... That one. That does sound beautiful, Pete. Well, obviously, the, 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 the proper version is more beautiful <laughs> the way I would do it, but just a general sense. Uh, the classical style. So I guess, I guess that, you know, there's something called to Study bit... by Fernando Saw. Right. Uh, and Greensleeves, traditional, arranged by... Every eighth. Just Russ Switch, Russ Shipton. <laughs> Russ Shipton, exactly. Uh, there's a Carcassi study. Yeah, it's, it's getting a bit Romanza traditional arranged yeah, by Russ So basically, do you think Russ is trying to suck us in by saying, you can play like Bob Dylan, but what he really wants to do is turn us into classical guitarists? I think, uh, I, I, I wouldn't like to speculate on Russ's, uh, on Russ's, uh, intentions. I think that would be, uh, there's not enough evidence in here to make out that case. Right. But fundamentally, you spend all that time learning how to play the guitar, right? Yeah. And what happens at the end of it? You're a guitarist. You're a guitarist. <laughs> and, and we know what that means. It's a disaster area. Well, let's let's move on to some music which may not be so predicated on the guitar, though last time there was a guitarist who did run rampant over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which track would you like to hear from? I, on the basis that our, our feeling was by the end of the CD, you're playing the stuff that you're putting on the, the solid gold, the penultimate track. How many tracks? Track are there? 13. Track 13. That's only, th- only 14. Yeah, only 14. That's okay, let's try it. it. Let's try this. Well, this is five minutes long, so I, mean, I think they're long tracks. No. But that's the boogie for you, or the disco. Or both. <laughs> This has got us a little, a little intrigued. I'm confused. Yeah. 
as he says, you're a PYT, but this is not the PYT we know it's not from Michael Jackson, Jackson, but no. it does sound like Michael Jackson. Or, Singing a song called PYT, Pretty yeah. Young Thing. Yeah, um, unless it suddenly goes into the chorus we expect, and this is a, a long... But it's actually not that long, it's only five minutes long, so... It's pretty good. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if it's a sort of development of the pre- PYT theme. Maybe he was going to write a ballet about pretty young things. Doesn't seem impossible. No, he, he was very prolific and... Well, I'm going to let it further away in the background. It is. It's a nice little track. Nice enough. Yeah, it does the job. I'm not an expert in that field, as yeah. I'm demonstrating. I Wouldn't mean, call it disco or boogie, though. No. I mean, I can see the disco angle to it from... But, yeah, it's not, not really. It's not disco, though. It doesn't... You know, I mean, it's, it's, only, it's only disco in that kind of, like, her, her, disco sucks, i.e. we're going to call everything that... It's vaguely dance music disco. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly no, it's not, not disco. It's not disco. No, it's no not you're disco. right. You're right. I'll, I I'll... mean, and again, boogie. You know, boogie's less of a well-defined musical genre. Yeah, I think unless the word woogie is appended to it, in which point, indeed, it's a... we don't want to get too Chaz and Dave about it. Or indeed, Jules Holland. Indeed. Oh, and his boogie boogie piano. Um, obviously, if this was on later, he would be playing all over it now. Um, right. Because he does that. Um, your second item that you found downstairs. It's a. It's a. Uh, now, let me give it its correct title. It's a Casio FX eighty five ES natural display two way power. Mm. Yeah. That's a calculator. It is a calculator, which in this well lit studio is in working order. Well, it's a. It's a um, solar powered calculator. I dare say it is as well. It's two way power. I think. Oh, ah, two way. Exactly what that means, I'm not sure. It, it does a solar cell battery DC 1.5 volt used battery LR44X1. So there, there appears to be a detachable little little doodang on the back. You can I drop a battery into. You probably could, although you'd need a screwdriver to get it open. Yeah, which, which is seems, a bit silly. Seems a strange design. I mean, there, there was must be a point when they just stopped making calculators that weren't solar powered because it seems that the amount of power you need to run a calculator was adequate. Well, and then here's the here's the thing. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm nobody's mathematician. No. Uh, but the reason I picked this up is because I haven't, with the exception with the exception of, of big thick calculators that that kind of accountancy type use use to add up that sort of sit yeah. flat on the desk and just have the. But they're actually pretty basic, buttons. aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty yeah, basic. Just basically, twelve buttons, so you can you can very quickly tap out the. I haven't seen a calculator for ages. Yeah. Well, they're one of those things that have gone, haven't they? I mean, oh, that, well, that's why I think that's what that's why I picked it up because it felt like this is another mm. obsolete piece of uh, technology, much like the flexi disc we were playing, although without the attraction of Rush Shipton being inside it. I mean, it's, it is weird because I guess if you're going to in a in a maths exam, you're still going to need a calculator because they're not going to let you use your phone because right, your phone is could... a computer that has well, internet, also, and... yeah, a communications device. Yeah, you know, which... <laughs> <laughs> there are problems right. inherent with that. You know, the... I suppose so. You would think, wouldn't you? You know, these days you could photo your aunt, you could take a photo of your answer, send it to someone else in the room. Um, they could have it on silence, so no one would notice. That's so, true. And only when the giggling starts do you start to get found out. Yeah. So there's got to be a point, and there's got to be a point where you have to have calculators of a basic nature that can't do that much, because the moment they start being big computing devices, they fall foul of the rules of the exam. Well, I, yeah. I mean, depending on what the rules are, right? Yeah. Because. It was the the, the 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 faux pas in my day was that they they used to talk about programmable calculators that's right yeah. that could do your work for you. Was yeah. this, I mean, this one's got this one's got your full range of, you know, sine and cos and hype and 
It'll probably is it programmable? It probably it probably can oh, do. I, I mean, it doesn't say programmable Let's on have it. A quick look. But you're the you're the um, expert. Um, oh, I won't, it's won't got a number of level. Ever. It's got a number of lev- uh, levels. And it does levels like, uh, uh, like Sonic lines. the Hedgehog. Well, no, I mean it's got a number of lines on the screen, so it's not just a single line. Oh, I see. Um, and it's not um, a old school sort of LCD that you can write. I mean, you can write boobies on it, but it won't be quite the same. It's um, never the same. It's never the same. It's never the same. Some very odd functions that are just built into it, but yes, it is programmable. Um, but it's not programmable much. Well, how programmable does it does it take to disqualify you from using it in your exam? I think you'd probably be all right with this because I mean, what the, the problem with it might be that you you could program into it a couple of basic formulas right. that you are. Which actually are on formula sheets, so it wouldn't be a problem because right. they give you—they tend to give you the formula sheets now. Um, I mean, I'm of an age that people were still a little bit shocked. That, yeah, uh, you could even take you a calculator could take in. any sort of calculator in because yeah. you know you were supposed to be able to add up with your mental abacus or whatever. Yes, yeah, and, like, and they still do do exams when you're not allowed to take calculators in. Mm-hmm. Sort of basic maths exams, you have to do like, arithmetic, paper, and yeah, arithmetic and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, that's more complicated than the calculator I would use in my finals. Um, but so, do you think they're still for sale? Yep, must be, must be for math students. Yeah, I mean for that for that one reason, and whether or not they give you, they, the schools just have like all the calculators they had from twenty years ago, and they just get them, break them out rather than you having to have your own one. Lost property offices around the world are probably stuffed with these things, right? Yeah, I mean, we, I suppose the students here that would be an economics student, I guess, would be using it. Um, they still have to do relatively complicated maths occasionally or at least follow some formulas. Right. You'd to think back up their flimsy lies. I mean I guess I guess I guess so, but wouldn't wouldn't most people just use uh, use their computer to do that now? Yeah, but again they still have to do it in the exam. So and they won't have access to that in the exam. Okay. So I think I think so the you're only, saying, you're saying the this only is time you would use it is for an exam. So what we're hoping is that someone hasn't failed their economics degree as a result of leaving this, drunkenly leaving their Casio I, FX 85ES uh, natural display in your I think it's likely they may have lost it after the exam, realising they'll never need to use it again. So maybe they didn't lose it. Maybe it's, it's here under false pretenses. Maybe it's just abandoned. It could be. Oh, well, things, many of the things in the office are abandoned, not strictly lost, but how do I tell the difference? I can't even begin to answer that question. You can occasionally tell from a scarf. Well, and actually, you can tell from an umbrella because it's broken. They're abandoned. Broken right. umbrella, but you can't you always tell when they're closed. You don't keep those in your lost property office, though, Tend to you? bin them if I know they're broken, but often people will leave them having refilled them up. And then they're furled. Furled is indeed the word, You yes. can't unfurl them because that would no. be bad luck. Indeed. So I can't do that, but more importantly, because <laughs> a lot of people, when, it, when, it's, when it's heavily raining, a lot of people come into the office saying, I I lost my umbrella last last week and need an umbrella, and I I don't really question them too much. You, you know, say, oh, take an umbrella. Take an umbrella. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That seems fair enough. But then they may unfurl and realise that it's busted. So has anyone? And I haven't listened to all of the back no. issues of the show. I've um, listened to most of be... them. I don't recall anyone saying that they that using an umbrella is something that they actually lost. Well, it's probably the key bit when I ask them. Per, what the most the thing they've lost of greatest personal monetary value? Umbrella right. is very rarely high up on that one. I'm no, guessing. I suppose so. I, mean, I do know some people who are big umbrella users. Our friend Rick has got a, a very handsome umbrella. And boy of Brollies is his email address. Indeed, and he's he's very very good with his umbrella. And uh-huh. I think he's had that one for a. Good few years, and I think he would if he if he lost his umbrella, it could be. I actually did lose an umbrella one Christmas Eve mm. uh, that was a Christmas gift for the following day 
from a much-loved, now sadly departed aunt. Dear. Uh, and it was raining so hard that Christmas Eve that I took it to the pub with me and didn't bring it back. Were you in trouble? No, no, nobody noticed. She didn't live near okay. us. So it was just... But, you know, it had a certain amount of personal and yeah. emotional value. And you felt a bit bad. I felt a total heel. Did Did you get it back from the pub the next day? No, did I, hell Oh, no, of course not. That's and the next day was Christmas Day as well. Not that pubs aren't open on Christmas Day. But no, but, I, I, you know, it would have been a bad look to go down to the pub on Christmas Day. It's like, give me my umbrella back. Yeah. So we come to the um, the, the hard question, or yeah. the question that other people find hard. I think you've, you've got something... I wouldn't go that far. Okay. What has been lost to humanity that, if rediscovered, would make the world a better place? The old days. Okay, just the old days. The old days. Yeah, good old days, or just the old days? Well, uh, Bad old days as well? By definition, good, really. Okay, not the bad ones. Talk to anyone that has lived, almost anyone, Mm -hmm. the the vast majority of people who've lived through enough days to be able to say that they'd experienced the old days, the vast majority of them will tell you that the old days are better. Right. Now, it is possible, and I would until thinking about this carefully, have mm. argued that, that what was going on there was it was a, a change in perspective, that people were confused by the modern world and they didn't like change, mm. and therefore they ascribed, you know, they, 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 they therefore, because they didn't like the change that they were seeing take place, they were saying that, you know, the old days were better. Yeah. But... You're not so sure now. It seems just as good an explanation of what's going on that the old days were just actually better. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no empirical way of, of testing it, really. No, I can apart see. from you ask the people who uh, have experienced both, they're the people with the best purview of this mm. stuff. You know, those of us who sneer and say, "Oh, you old fool!" Of course, the old days weren't better. Look at the look at the crime stats yeah, for London. You didn't have iPads, exactly. You know, how you know, could it what be do better? We know? The people who know most about it, are the people who are saying the old days were better. You know? What I do know is that the best pub in the world is always a pub that's closed down. Well, not when you really need a pub. No, no. The best pub in the world you, is the one that you're you're in. But. Almost anybody, almost anybody who is has been drinking for you know more than ten years, long enough, long enough to have cycled through mm. some pubs that have closed down or changed or been revamped. Even the brilliant, even the pub that people go, oh yeah, it's brilliant in here. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, it was better before they did the refurb. Right, yeah, I know what you mean. The old days are better. That's why pubs are getting worse. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with you. You know, I'm going to be, I would play that devil's advocate and just say it's just your nostalgia and your hankerings after and so on. But, you know, the you reason know. that nostalgia exists is because the old days were better. I mean, I, well, perhaps. Um, but, but I think it's interesting because I, 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 it's something that's come, if you talk about pubs, it's something that came up in a conversation last night that, um, and we're sitting there and we're in a, we're in a, you know, a North London beer pub where there are, uh, 10 handpools and another 15 interesting beers on keg and no end of bottles behind the bar and it's just a general sense of ennui that all this beer is available and thinking how great it was 10 years ago to go into a pub and they have, have tra- tasted the ennui the, the ennui is not bad who, who that? I, think it's, I think it's Camden Town Brewery <laughs> yeah it's, it will be <laughs> certainly it's coming up that way but um, here's, here's another thing right yeah all, uh, how many pubs how mm. many pubs that you know of are called the old something Right. So, right. You know, ye oldie, this or that. Yeah. How many pubs are called the new something? There's new the crown. New, there's a new crown. New there's crown a new, new crown's old, though, isn't it? But the crown that's near it is older. That's true. So it's a new crown. No, no, actually, the crown that, funnily enough, <laughs> that- that's a funny thing. The new crown is an older pub than the, than the crown. Okay, yeah. 
but that's just a historical yes. quirk. So many pubs are called Yeldy this. There's the, isn't there the new fountain as well somewhere? Yes, new fountain, yeah. yeah. And the, the, there's the old fountain as well, so. And right. But, there's uh, the two you know, old Cheshire cheeses on the same if, street. If it wasn't, I think one's the Cheshire cheese and the other one's the old Cheshire cheese. Okay, yeah, you might be right. Um, but they're both pretty old. Yeah. Um, certainly, certainly, the, the, the suggestion would be that people want to drink in places that are older. Perhaps, but I wouldn't do down old, a new old pub. Old has some value. Old has value, but not always. Sometimes old means decrepit. Sometimes old means in the great scheme toilets. of things. Though, in the great scheme of things, old is prized over new in that world. Yes, um, and often all it takes is a little chat. I mean, my my local, which um, I was a, a, a big fan of until very recently, had a new landlord and who has sport the pub. Um, so, so things are better in the old days. Yeah, perhaps. Okay, I will go. And if we could just get... And the, the, the difficult thing about this, yeah. right? The difficult thing is it's not always the same old day. No. So it's not like it's not like you can say... 1974. 1974. Uh, September the 18th. Record shops were better, as we previously established by science, sometime around 1986, yeah. 87 yeah. kind of period. But that probably wasn't the high point of pubs. Almost certainly not the high point of pubs. So we're going to have to, in order to get the old days back, we're going to mm. have to go through... a go through a process of establishing which the optimal day was for, for whatever we're talking about yeah. product or service or indeed social attitude yeah uh and then wind back to that and, and that i'm not quite that could sure. be problem- and the social attitude could be problematic in certain areas well you know, it may be that it may be that uh the the very 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 old days mm. were better were better in some yeah you know before we could talk before <laughs> before we had ideas um I don't know. I, you know, I think it would be. I think it would be a bad mistake to. Um, I think it'd be a bad mistake to think that that problematic social attitudes are so endemic in human society that they go back. They go back forever because you're, you know, you're 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 kind of making those into in as if they're human nature. And yeah. I don't. I don't believe they are. Right. So you know, like I say, you might need to wind quite a long way back before before the problematic social attitudes became became uh, hardened in our culture okay uh but you know i would i would i would shy away if i were you from arguing that you know the the sort of problem let's not go into specifics here <laughs> yes but the sort of problematic social attitudes that you and i might identify as problematic mm. i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to suggest that they go back right to the dawn of human uh, consciousness human consciousness right. or before okay well i know that's an interesting viewpoint and one which simply supports my uh, my <laughs> the case old that days. the old days were better. Okay, well, we're, I'm not sure we can bring back the old days because they be, then they become. I wasn't asking you to the do new it. days. No, there is a, philo- a, a vaguely semantic philosophical problem about bringing back the old days because once you have the old days, then the new then the new days, and there will be an old day that's yeah. But, but the whole basis of your question was what would improve human society yeah. if we could bring it back, and if we, we could can't. bring it back, it wouldn't be lost anymore. No, exactly. So, I, so was, I was really only building this on the premise of the question you asked you're, me. And you're right, you're right, the premise is in, so, in its own way fundamentally flawed, right. as is so much on this show. I forgive you. That's okay. Um, I'm going to wrap this up now, because um, <laughs> I think we've, uh, we've now we've destroyed the entire premise of the programme. Um, it's best to scurry away. Um, it's not let's, my fault. Um, what track would you like to hear... <laughs> As we go out, I think track one. Track you know, one. Somebody will be starting at the top of the shop, won't they? Yes, and you know you, you'll put your best stuff at the beginning, right? Well, most of the time. Although you're the start you know, of a bang. If I've got a guess, I'm going to say one. One. One's okay. A good place to finish, right? Well, I'd like to thank you very much for coming, Tim. Been a pleasure. Um, I hope you've uh, you've not felt too traumatised reliving some of your 
very minor losing events. Yeah, that, the whole the whole inner bog thing has upset yeah, me a bit, but see, that aside. Well, we'll avoid that. And um, this is track one off uh, Boogie plus Disco. BTG. BTG. Beat that guitar. Oh, beat that guitar, but what could it be? Hold on, I, I vaguely oh, recognise this bass line. It's a, it's a post Billy. Oh, no, it is actually Billy Jean. It does seem like Billy Jean with someone playing a... Maybe it's old. What's his face in his synthesizer? I want to see what happens. Yeah, now. so do I. I'm going to leave us up for a little bit. It's a nice talk. There's a nice parpy noise in there. Yeah. Clearly, that's sad. There's clearly Michael Jackson is leaning on this somewhere on this album. Well, there were quite a lot of them. Um, there were quite a lot of sort of Billy Jean spin-offs as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Is there a Shinehead version of Billie Jean that's really good? Yes, but that's good ten years afterwards, isn't it? Yeah. Really? I think so, yeah. It sounds like... uh, And the backing track's definitely there, and then there's someone parping away on a synth. Electro electro synth, almost. Slower, obviously. Yeah. There was something... There is some, there's some there's some unfamiliar noise happening in here. I think I had I had a Roland uh, 909 synthesizer back Did in the you? day, which was very good at making noises like this. I think which, this which, might be called which the Parpy one. Or the, yeah, the Parpy noise. I think this was called Funny Cat or Funky Cat. Funny this, Cat and Funky yeah. Cat are very different. No, you're right. I think this is this is definitely something like Funky Cat. Funky Cat. I'm not sure it completely replaces it replaces the vocal. Oh. Yeah, or someone opened the door. <laughs> yeah, need to oil that bike. Oh, there's God. Oh, oh, hello. Still not disco. I would no, say. no, definitely not disco. I mean, you know, people would have been remembered. Would have, you know, had a clear memory of disco at this point. Yeah, but this was, you know, this sort of stuff was a break away from disco, wasn't it? Exactly. It is a bit like someone who's got the backing track and is playing over it. Right. Which, of course, there's a grand tradition yes. of doing that as well. Indeed. But then again, which bits of the backing track do we think actually are from the original ending? Yeah, I don't think most of the backing think, track. Do you think yeah. the bass line is actually the proper original? Yeah. Maybe slightly slower. And we've got the guy over the top going... And that that's added on. That that bit's added on, but the the glissando bit at the end isn't. So it's like you say, so it's like almost maybe they've taken like the left channel, and then they're playing. But it is in stereo. Yeah. I quite enjoying this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's, good. Uh, I'm sure people aren't expecting us to talk all the way over it, but there's only a minute left, so consider it a wrap. Yes. Well, right, you know, it's a. I noticed um, host, the uh, the recent Miguel album, which I, wrote, I like a lot. Um, there is on Spotify. There is a uh, a commentary track for it as well. Oh, really? That you can listen to after you listen to it. Well, that sounds like a new thing. Yeah, I've never seen that before. Where he just tells you what he was thinking, and all the way through his probably the breakthrough single on there, which is uh, "Do You," which is the track, which is basically Ebenezer Good for a New Generation. Nice. Um, he never once mentions that the chorus which is do you like drugs is about you know, it's, 
he's saying, I want to do you like your drugs. That's the gag. Okay. Because um, I'm into you like you were drugs. So, so uh, you'll need to explain yeah. the um, you'll need to explain the punctuation of that. I'm, I want he wants to do you like you are drugs. Yeah, I, I want or to he do wants you to do like you I want to in do the you. manner of the drugs that you currently have. It's unclear. Are you going to be he, the, 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 the way the chorus goes? Do or, you like drugs? Or he wants to do you in the way that your drugs do you. The well, drugs that's that you that's currently yeah have to. exactly yeah, and make and blow your mind. Right. Um, the problem is also the problem is that also it kind of it does that and it has the sort of dual meaning of do you like drugs? Do you like drugs? But then he follows up with do you like hugs? And that doesn't quite work with the dual meaning in the same sort of way. Well, it doesn't sound like it's a song about drugs to me, Pete. No, no, it's not. It's clearly not a song about drugs. It's a song about hugs. Hugs. Yeah. <laughs> well, 50% is about hugs. Anyway, anyway, I'm not actually playing that right now. Okay. Um, but it's it's very good. Um, recommend it. <laughs> I think uh, this is about to finish. So. Oh. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. And goodbye to the parping synth man. Let's actually see how it ends. With a fade, like we expected. See you next week.